Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Youth Vibes. I'm Daniel Suley. Last week on the show, we had quite an explosive topic on the subject of apologetics and the existence of God. Now, while we have received a number of requests and questions concerning the conversation last week, we'll get to some of those in this week's episode, but we can promise that there will be a follow-up episode to this series to address all the issues that have been raised. For now, enjoy the rest of the conversation. I want to go back to intelligent design now yes. for, for this next question. So, the infinite monkey theorem states that a monkey hitting keys at random on a typewriter keyboard for an infinite amount of time will almost surely type any given text, including the complete works of William Shakespeare. Going off of that... Is it not possible that the Earth, our universe as it is, is just one of an infinite number of simulations playing out? Not simulations in that sense, but an infinite number of um, situations, scenarios playing out across space, across maybe even a possible multiverse, and we just happen to be in this goldilocks zone like you like you explained that has the perfect conditions for life and that maybe somewhere out there because we haven't finished exploring everything there does exist the potential for life on another planet and it it all just kind of happened because i mean you said earlier on that um we can't define God because as soon as he, as soon as you define someone, you create boundaries, and you must have the a, a certain level of knowledge that will give you the audacity, give you the authority to make that declaration. So that he doesn't exist. That he doesn't exist. But now I'm asking, on the basis of that he does exist, is it not possible that all of these things? could just have happened and if if it is not possible then on what are you basing that that claim that he does exist okay yes and thank you again it's a very good question first of all going back to the issue of the definition of god hmm. not that he cannot be defined what okay. i mean you cannot be defined is by you you cannot define him based on your own experiences which are limited as a finite human being But you can take the definition of what he said of himself. Hmm. Right, right, right. The definition he gave of himself. Hmm. He has not related with anybody without, first of all, revealing himself. Hmm. And what he reveals to you, the aspect that he reveals to you, is what you know about him. And that is why he revealed what we can interact with in the person of Jesus. So when you read your John chapter 1, Verse 14 said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Mm. And we beheld his glory as of the glory of the Father. So when you are looking through Jesus, through his life, through Mm. you are seeing what you need to know about God through him. Okay. You also find again, still on that, that um, when the laws were given, one of the phrases that God uses most of the time 
in giving people that are related with him is, I am the Lord your God. Mm. I am the Lord your God. And in the Hebrew, when you say, I am the Lord your God, he's saying, I am Adonai your Elohim. I am Adonai, your Elohim. Adonai is like the Lord, the one that is in charge, the one that your mind cannot comprehend, right. the one that is beyond boundaries and cannot be contained by any container, the maker of the universe, the awesome God, hmm. the mighty God. That is Adonai. But he said, when I come to you, when we are relating, I enter your space as Elohim. You say, I am the Lord, but I am your God. And that word Elohim there is in the plural. It's in the plural sense. Right. Not in the plural as if you are dealing with a polytheistic God, hmm. but it's talking about the plurality of his majesty. Hmm. It is talking about the multiplicity of his dimensions of intervention. Okay. So he said, when you are hungry, I can be, I'll be your Jehovah El Jireh. You will know me in that sense as your Jehovah Jireh. Hmm. You're sick, I am your Jehovah Rapha. You are, you, are, you are lonely, I'm your Jehovah Shalom. I am the Shalom. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the one that gives you peace. peace. I am the Nisi that is ever present with you. I'm the Shama that is your flag. Mm -hmm. I am the El Nose that forgives you. I am the El Kana that loves you. I am the El Gibor that is the mighty man in battle. And all those presentations making you know that you will know him on the platform of your relationship with him. And that on that particular platform, he reveals himself to you within that context and you walk with that revelation. So you keep, that is why I say, I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. So there is that fluidity right. in that definition. But we, above that fluidity, you have him as God who has told you, I am the Lord, your God. But for you to know me, you walk with me. And as you are doing so, you are getting an experiential knowledge of me as I reveal myself to you. And that is what happens, that you find the Bible says we are going from one level of knowledge to another. Mm -hmm. That is in terms of the revelation of his glory, right. that is knowledge. And you find Paul saying in 1 Corinthians that right now we know dimly. He said, but eventually we shall know fully. Okay. Then coming back to the... Um, the suggestion you said concerning the, the the random nature of things couldn't it have been that it things is. are just where they are, mm. and then you also give the uh, the the the, um, the analogy of the monkey. The so monkey. imagine that monkey that could given an infinite mm. amount of time, and then it's typing on the keyboard, and eventually it's able to bring out. You say it could even type out Shakespeare, yes. given an infinite, infinite amount of time. Now, when you say an infinite amount of time, it's also an assumption. Let me. The assumption I mean is that it means it could also go on forever and we are still waiting for the monkey to type out Shakespeare. True. Right? True. It could go on forever and it has still not yet typed out Shakespeare. Mm. But then we say, wait, don't worry, it will still be able to type out Shakespeare. Just keep waiting. Mm. So, the assumption that after an infinite amount of time it will be able to type out Shakespeare means that you have paused time. But let's even assume that that happens. Hmm. For the monkey now to give birth to another monkey that can read Shakespeare, <laughs> can speak Shakespeare, hmm. you now say, what is happening here? 
The first one we gave an infinite amount of time mm -hmm. and it was able to do this. This one is already, you say, uh, is, if the other one was a product of chance given time X, mm -hmm. what is this one? How is this one happening? It's not a very perfect example I'm trying to give. Right. What I'm just trying to say is that there are too many mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. that yeah, conform to, to yes. design that are scattered all around us to be that one, one outcome explains it all as a random chance. Hmm. If you say, and you, 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 you can't, you, you, we, we have seen um, investigations in an explosion situation. We here in JAWS, we have had bomb blasts hmm. and you've seen forensic investigators, the bomb squad coming to look at it. And they can, t they can tell you patterns. It could be this kind of bomb based on the way the things are thrown apart and all that and all that. For you to have one explosion, the cosmic bank, that brought out so many outcomes that each one of them stands in a fixed law, stands in, conforms to predictable patterns, shows design, shows evidence of intelligence, makes you to begin to think, am I, am I not dealing with too many things mm -hmm. that are showing design. If too many things like that are showing design all around me, could all these still have been chance. chance? Now, in every part of human interaction, the answer will be no. Hmm. In the court today, there is no court that will admit that you are telling this person that based on this evidence, this evidence, this evidence, this evidence, it's most probably that you committed this crime. And he says, no, all of them are chance. <laughs> it's by chance that the missing phone was with me. It's by chance that it's the same kind of phone that is missing. It's by chance that I was around there. It's by chance that the person, the, uh, the camera, this, the CCTV captured was wearing blue jeans and uh, <laughs> red shirt, and I'm having blue jeans and red shirt. Mm. It's by chance that I'm having that height. It's by chance. It's by When you keep saying, it will get to a point, the judge will look at you and say, excuse me, young man, do you think I'm stupid? <laughs> do I look stupid to you? All these, all these point to the fact that there is no other reasonable explanation but that you did, did this. It. Do you know? If that judge uses that those strings of evidences to pass a conviction on that person, the whole world will hail that judge as being sound, as being rational. Right. So we admit that kind of evidence in the courts. We admit it in other areas, except when that evidence points to God. We say no. So our world, when it comes to picking the same pattern, that you've, you, you string evidences and then based on the balance of probability, you say this shows that it is most probable that it is like this. When it comes to the, the aspect of God, we say no, whereas there are too many evidences, too mm -hmm. many evidences. I just read for you what Francis Crick said, that if you talk about that the DNA... Mm -hmm with all that has been shown by the coding of the DNA, the deciphering of the DNA, the quantity of information that is captured and being transmitted by the DNA, for it to be random chance, he said the probability will be, a one, will be one with 40, more than 000. 40 zeros. Do you know, 
for some people, it's better to hold on to that than to look at the probability of the possibility of, the, of yeah. having God. So the issue of chance remains in the square. For me, it remains in this, the, the quadrant of absurdity because there are too many things around that you're still talking about chance and it just doesn't make sense because every single investigation in science is still bringing out design, is still upholding design. Science itself is based on the fact that you can interact with the, with the universe. Mm. You can interact with nature. Right. There will be no chemistry if you cannot interact with the elements. Mm. There will be no chemistry if you cannot interact with 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 matter the way it, it, it moves, the way in terms of its combinations, the way it moves from one kind of uh, um, compound to the other. You cannot engage hydrocarbons if you didn't know the valency of the elements, if you didn't know the, the hydrogen potential, if you didn't know the movement of hydrogen and between the carbons and if those things were not there, you would not be able to interact with it. Right. The neurosurgeon cannot interact with his patient if he didn't know the sequence of the firing of the neurons and how the brain works. He wouldn't do that. You find that in, in medicine, you will not be able to do that. You find that in geography, you will not be able to do that if you didn't know that the, 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 um, the tectonic plates, if they move and if they're, able to, if, if they're able to create a situation that there could be an earthquake, there could be a tsunami, you are able to predict this because you are seeing design. Then you come to life itself and you see it within you. You go to the universe, you see it within you. So many constants, the laws that are there, from gravity to the speed of light to planks to so many of them that you see. And people can relate to them. Albert Einstein is not here today, but you can relate to the law of relativity. It is now a law, and it still explains the things that you see in the universe. So when you look at that, you say, how could chance create so much design? That is a question that is yet to be answered. Now, one way you can also know the absurdity of that view is the non-replicability of it. Right. right. We are unable to replicate design by chance. It has not yet happened. So we are yet to throw blocks and cements and stones in a field and then come back some days later to find a building. Yeah. It has not yet happened. We are yet to throw ingredients in a kitchen and then give it some time and come back to find a meal. Mm. It's yet to happen. That the kind of chance they are talking about that brought out the outcomes has still not been replicated. And the only explanation is the one the Christians gave that God made it. But the hostile atheistic world will not want that explanation. So it keeps searching. And that is why I told you that one of the new areas they are even trying to go into now is to say alien forms started yeah. <laughs> because it is looking more ridiculous every day holding on to this design right. but denying the existence of a designer. Right. Okay. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> Again, I'll come back to... Yes. I'll come back to one of the points you raised later on. But now, another question from an, our audience. Yeah. Can, um, so they're asking, can you explain how God exists in three personalities, but is still one? How does that make 
sense generally to to us as human beings that are used to understanding things as a unit essentially okay a very good question too and um i like the way you put the question because you put it rightly you say um how does that make sense yes so the issue so the main problem there is the issue of sensuality sensuality yes okay it doesn't make sense okay okay it's about sense Mm -hmm. that our senses have declared that it's not rational right so the first question before we even go into it is that are there things that don't make sense yet they are real you realize there are there are things that don't make sense and yes, yet they are exist. yes in the days that many people will tell you of the mirage and yeah. they say we saw water over there the oasis yeah and the senses are totally deceived to think i'm about to get water only to get there there's no water mm. have you ever watched a movie you knew it was a movie you knew they acted it. Right. You knew these people are just, there are casts and they are just playing roles. Yeah. And yet you were weeping for somebody. <laughs> so why were you weeping? Right. And you are angry with with a villain in the movie. Mm. You are so angry that you wish he's, he's <laughs> you wish he's he's killed in pieces. Exactly. And your emotions are all wired up. Right. Sometimes you laugh in the movie. Sometimes you cry in the movie. But you know, your entire senses are not relating to the movie. Your entire senses are reacting to the stimuli as though it is real. It is called the supernormal stimuli. The principle of the supernormal stimuli. That your senses, your body, your tear glands don't know whether it's a movie. Your tear gland is is responding to the same emotions it would have done in the same way if there was a tragedy, a real-time tragedy. If you were in Dogonahawa, where the Fulani headsmen had killed so many people, and you saw all the dead bodies, you wept. Right. The same way you wept when you watched a movie of a genocide, and yet it was fiction, and you wept, your senses have been deceived. So in many times, using what the senses can comprehend to judge reality may not be a, an authoritative way right. of authenticating reality. But let's come back to that. First of all, for Christians, did God make any statement as to the reality of the Trinity? Yes, he did. You'll find in your Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he said, come, let, let us, us make man in our own image. Now, the correct English should have been, let us, us is plural, make man in our, that is plural, then it should have been images. Images. But it said, let us make man in our own image. Bringing out plurality in absolute singularity. Hmm. And people are like, how is that possible? How is that possible? So let's come. The, the, the senses will go back to the logic of science, which is mathematics. Mathematically, say it doesn't make sense. How can one plus one, one, one plus one plus one is supposed to be three, right? Yeah. So if God the Father is a God, the Son is a God, 
The Holy Spirit is God. Then we have three gods. That is what should make sense. So I have, I had a conversation with somebody who was having a problem with that. And I remember the conversation. He said to me, he said, justice, well, let's, let's deconstruct it. You are an engineer. I'm an engineer. Hmm. He said, okay, let's come back. Let's just deconstruct it. Take it easy. I said, okay. He said, the father is God. I say, yes. The son is God. I say, yes. The Holy Spirit is God. I say, yes. He said, okay, the father, that is one. He said, yes. Son, one. Yes. Holy Spirit, one. So one plus one plus one <laughs> is three. And I say, yes, it is three in base 10. Right. Right. It is right. three in base 10. Hmm. Even in mathematics, hmm. if you go to binary, in base 2, 1 plus 1 is 10. Hmm. 1 plus 1 plus 1 in it's base 11. 2 is not, it's 11. It's not even, it's not even, so, this, so even in mathematics, even in mathematics, when you say 1 plus 1 plus 1 is 3, you must quickly define the base, base. of that manipulation. Right. So if the base of that manipulation is not base 10, it cannot be, so, if God says 1 plus 1 plus 1 is 1, do you know the base he's working on? Mm. To say it's impossible is to even deny the reality of mathematics. Right. Okay. Let's now come back again to use of language. Imagine that you know an astrophysicist. Imagine somebody like Stephen Hawking or Albert Einstein. Imagine those kind of intelligent minds having a little daughter, a little child, four year old, and the child says, Daddy, please explain to me how the universe works. So how would you start explaining to the child, um, you know, this the speed of light is this, and then um, the, the, the string theory, and mm -hmm. then and you begin to go on and on and on. I'm sure before you have gone five minutes, the child is, 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 is What are you talking about? Or imagine a neurosurgeon and then a three-year-old, four-year-old asking daddy, explain to me the surgery you are about to, 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 to undertake. How would he begin to go through those complex firing of the neurons, mm. the brain matter? How would he go through the hormones, how will he go through the injections, the way the body works, and all the factors that need to be in place for him to perform that surgery. I'm sure he would just say, well, that guy has a bad thing in his brain and I'm just going to remove it. Yeah. If you gather other neurosurgeons and you speak like that, you will be too simplistic. Right. But to the child, okay, it makes sense. They say, that patient has something bad in his body, and my daddy is going to remove it. That language was deconstructed and brought down to his own level. Mm. It's on his own level. Was it a lie? No. It's on his own level. is for him to understand what his father is doing. Mm. Now, the nature of the Trinity is a mystery. But it's a mystery that being brought to our own level where we are limited by diction, that the only way we can understand it is the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, yet is one being. 
is one being. Within our settings, people have tried to give some analogy using water. Using water in terms of composition, you're talking about H2O. H2O, that is water in chemistry. But you can talk about water existing as a solid ice, existing as a liquid water, existing as a gas vapor. So we know that the same nature, the same element, it doesn't change. It's still H2O, but you're having these different forms of existence mm-hmm. in nature. And those three forms have different physical properties. You can kill somebody with ice. It can shatter your eyes, has, has broken windscreens before. Mm-hmm. And water, you cannot wash your car with ice, you'll scratch it. Right. Water will do that. You cannot drink ice as you drink water. Vapor will rise and condense and form the clouds. Eyes will not do. You see properties. Yet, in terms of its essential nature, you're still dealing with H2O. Hmm. That, in a way, is even one way we can even look at it. Right. You look at the sun, and for the geographer or the geologist or the astronomer, astronomist, he talks about the sun as a huge ball. Of nuclear reactor that is over there. It's actually a ball that is over there. He can talk about its radius, he can talk about its circumference. Mm-hmm. It's there right. in space. Then to another person, when you're dealing with optics, you're talking about the sun, you see it's light. And then you deal with light, the speed of light, the when light is dispersed, when light is refracted, and when it is reflected, you deal with all those things on that level. Then again, you come to the radiologist and he's dealing with the same sun but he's dealing with the alpha rays the beta rays he's dealing with electromagnetic radiation he's dealing with radiation which you don't you don't you can't see which you can't touch yet you see the effects and all come from the sun so the question again is which one among them is the sun which one among the ice the vapor and the the the, the liquid which one is water now this on our level, not a very perfect analogy, but to show you that things have even around us existed in states and yet maintained the unity of composition. But now, coming to the Christian trinity, you find that God has revealed himself in those three. And within our finite understanding as humans, the only way it will make any logical sense for us is three persons in one God. But the truth of it is that there is so much about the Trinity that, as Paul said in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that we will know much, much, much better when we are no longer limited by this flesh Mm. and what this brain can comprehend. But the possibility, yes. And just as I said, that in terms of is it possible, yes. Somebody said, it's not possible. And I said, what do you understand by God? Do you believe in God? He said, yes, he believes in God. I said, if you believe in God and you say it's not possible, you have already, that argument has already collapsed on himself. Because God, by nature, is supposed to do the impossible. Mm. If God does the impossible and you believe it, and then God is the impossible, you don't believe it. You believe he does the impossible. Mm. But then his nature should be defined by you, right. should be predictable by you, should be something that you can manipulate. And 
the nature, the way he revealed it to you, for you, it's impossible. Hmm. What makes it impossible? Is it because he has lied? No, it's because your senses say it's not possible. And there are so many things your senses too have said is not possible and there. Right. So that is, so the Trinity is real. Okay. Thank you, sir. Um, so you, you alluded to this earlier. Why do you think it is so hard for people to believe? Um, okay, I think I should prefix that we're asking, do you think people just do not, you th- do you think it's hard for people to believe or do you think it's just hard for them to accept that God exists? Okay. I think, um, I think it is both. Okay. I think it's more of the second accepting than that of believing. Hmm. I met with an atheist some years ago in University of South Wales in Cardiff. Hmm. And um, I was with the Christian students and we were sharing flyers and he asked what we were doing, and I told him we're, we're, it's a week of evangelism. And he laughed. He said, I'm an atheist. I said, okay, I'm a Christian. Hmm. So I invited him. I said, could we sit down and investigate our worldviews? And he was willing. So we sat down and we said, okay, let's just try to um, examine our worldviews for its authenticity. A worldview is supposed to be coherent. A worldview is supposed to correspond with reality. A worldview is supposed to have a practical outcome. And a worldview should fill four voids in your life. Your worldview should answer the question of identity. Who are you? Hmm. Your worldview should answer the question of your worth. What's your value? Hmm. Your worldview should should answer the question of... um, That's your importance. Identity importance. Your worldview should answer the question of your incentive. What do you have? What do you have? And your worldview should answer the question of your impact in life. What brings meaning? Right. Meaning. Worldview should give you meaning. Hmm. So when we invest, when we started and talked about worldview, I said, how does your worldview explain origin of the universe? And he said, he talked about Big Bang. He talked about evolution. Okay. And then I raised this point with him on the fact of evolution, the fact that now that we have cameras, we are unable to capture evolution in, prog- in process. We are unable to do that. And I also talked about micro and macro evolution mm. and why I, I believe more in the micro, micro. evolution, mm. but I do not agree with the macro of interspecies jumping. I do not believe in that. And he said, well, that it, it makes sense what I was saying, but he believes it anyway. Mm. Then we talked about cosmic bank which he believes accounts for the origin of the physical universe but he couldn't explain why he cannot locate the banger if there was a cosmic bank but it makes sense that there should be a cause the mm. principles of cause and effect right. so that there should be a, a cause. cause we talked about the second law of thermodynamics that there is entropy that we're seeing in the universe energy is dissipating mm. but there must be the beginning of that energy. Right. We are seeing it dissipating. And we know that even in chemistry, that ma- um, matter cannot be created or destroyed, but right. can be converted from one form or the other. So we are seeing conversion of energy, but we have not accounted for creation of energy. Right. 
when you talk about nuclear fission, nuclear fusion, you know that an external energy tried to do something within the nucleus mm -hmm. for you to have what you have. So he said, well, these are gaps. I said, how do you want to live with gaps when the Bible is trying to fill the gap for you? And you said, no, yet you have not filled in the gap. We talked about morality. And I said, we make our meanings. That's where the problem is. I said, how do we find meaning in life? He said, we make our meanings. We cre so if we make our meanings, then it means we make our laws. Yeah. It means we form our own morality. It means that we are not looking for any transcendental source of morality. He said, no, there's no need. We simply make our meanings. So I asked him a question. As at that time, there was this shooting in France. Somebody entered a school and shot so many people and killed so many people. It's still, those kind of things are still going on. And it was an Islamic radical group. So I asked him, are you displeased by what those people did? He said, yes, it's horrible. It's bad. It's wicked. It's... I said, okay. But we make our meanings. Right. If we make our meanings, you don't want to kill, I want to kill, so let's live and let's let's live happily ever after. He said, no, 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 no. It shouldn't be. I said, why shouldn't it be? He said that we, are, we should all understand we are humans and we shouldn't kill ourselves. I said, who makes the law beyond the one I've made? If I make my laws and you make your laws, at what point will you judge me wrong if I infringe upon your own liberty by my own law, trying to live by my own law, mm. by my own terms? If I want to live by my own terms, but my own terms, living by my terms, infringes on your own welfare, then at what point would you say I'm wrong? Who now says I'm wrong? If I made my law, he still no, there should be a law above me. And I say, you are right. There should be a law above us. If we are the lawmakers, and if the ball ends with us. That is why we are seeing the kind of society we are seeing. If we make our laws, what makes Putin wrong in invading Ukraine? Hmm. If we make our laws. Did he invade Nigeria? Did he invade the US? So what's your problem? What makes it wrong? Who says he cannot enter Ukraine? Who says he cannot take over Crimea? Who says he cannot keep throwing missiles there? You realize that you cannot make Putin to look bad until you judge him by a law that is higher than him, right. higher than the Ukrainians, higher than all humans. Yeah. If you say it is the law of the United Nations, then who judges the United Nations in Congo? When they give the militants weapons in Congo, if they are the makers of the law, who judges the United Nations and says where they have done, where there are excesses in their activities, who judges? You realize that Eventually, when you continue, there must be accountability to a higher person that is above you. Once you remove that, you are going to have chaos. That is nihilism. When you remove that source, you have chaos, as Friedrich Nietzsche said. And that is what you are seeing in the communist region, in the communist era. That was why. Chaos is inevitable where you do not have a transcendental lawgiver. So, when it comes to that point, you realize that the God factor helps you out. And that is how you are able to pick out how you are supposed to live and find purpose for yourself. So, living our lives, therefore, is finding out what does God actually intended that you should be? What did he want you to, to, to do? When you find it and you are living within that, then you'll find purpose. 
and not conforming to that is going out the uh, is, is immorality and then you're able to know where the boundary lines are because the lines have already been set for you it is when people live like that yeah. that they are able to find meaning in life but when people expunge that possibility then we end up in the kind of chaos that we have today and unfortunately that is what is happening so people within most human beings most of us within have that hunger for something that is beyond here so the young man when we looked at all this eventually he agreed and said it makes sense that there is god now that it makes sense i said would you want to explore why don't you explore why don't you and right there he prayed and asked for jesus to come into his life and he was in tears he was there praying. I don't know what he was saying. I left him, allowed him. I said, talk to Jesus. He is here with you. He was, he prayed. He laughed. He cried. He was in tears. And when he wiped his tears and when he was done, I said, so what is happening now? You came in, you were telling me you are an atheist. There's no God. And now you are the one praying. So what do you think has happened? Listen to me and what he said. He said to me, most of us are wearing masks. He said, but the problem with wearing a mask is that you can wear it for so long that you forget you have a face. Hmm. That's our problem. The problem we have is not the non-belief hmm. in God. Even, even the atheists carelessly and recklessly tell you, God damn, God damn him, hmm. God damn that. <laughs> It's there. Yeah. It's there in the conversation. Even the person that doesn't believe in God say, God forbid that Nigeria mm. should collapse. <laughs> it's there at the background. We deliberately want to push it to a corner where it doesn't influence our everyday decision. Why? That is why I say the problem is the acceptability. Hmm. Let me still come back to the belief. There is nobody that is not a believer. I met another atheist in Oxford, a young boy from France. Before we talk, he told me, my father, my grandfather was an atheist, my father was an atheist, I am an atheist, and there is nothing you can tell me. Multi-generational okay. atheist. Yes. So I asked him, I said, well, so I believe in God. He said, I don't believe in God. I said, why? He said, because I don't believe there is God. So I asked him, I said, do you want me to believe that? He said, yes. I said, do you believe that? He says, yes. then you have a belief. He said, how? I don't have a belief. I said, no. You have a belief in the belief that there that is, is no belief. <laughs> that in itself is a belief. There is nobody that is not a believer. Richard Dawkins that says he is the leader of the atheists. He's a professor of biology. And you know, he will, I don't think, I don't know whether he's still there professor of biology in the University of Oxford. As a professor of biology, you have a belief when you say there is no God. When you read these books, the, um, some of the books he has written, you have a belief. What is the belief? The belief is that there is no belief. When people ask him that after life, what happens when people die? He said, we simply cease to exist. My question to Richard Dawkins is, do you believe that? If he says yes, then you have a belief. The belief that there is no belief. Hmm. Now, there is a compartment in our 
there is a compartment in our makeup as humans for you to believe. Okay. You should believe. Professor John Lennox asked Richard Dawkins that, does your wife love you? He said, yes. And Professor John Lennox asked him, do you believe it? Do you believe it? You need, there is a compartment in you to believe. That is the compartment. God made it. God made every one of us like that. And God created that void that seeks to believe because only he can fill it. Right. When that void is not filled, you will be a psychiatric material. You, you end up in a psychiatric world. And that is why the International Association of Psychiatric Doctors have said that they don't know this thing about Christianity. In fact, they fought Richard Dawkins when he was talking about the uselessness of faith. They told him, no, it's not useless. They told him that most people that are psychotic patients, as soon as you talk to them about God, and about faith, and about believing in somebody who cares for them, who loves them, who knows what they are going through, who is going to give them peace. He said that most of them, he said the recovery of those who accept that faith okay. is faster and more consistent than those who do not. Okay. So, Association of International Psychiatrics attacked Richard Dawkins. I wish I came with the, the, the document, I would have told you the date. They attacked Richard Dawkins and told him he cannot say that faith is useless, that it is useful. Go to psychotic patients and see that they are the, 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 the state of a psychotic patient is more chaotic when there is the void of belief. Right. He doesn't believe in anything. It's more psychotic. But when, because God created it, it's a compartment that God created. So it brings me back, therefore, to where, when I talk about acceptability. And I told you, the problem is acceptability. It's acceptance. You can know something exists, but you reject it. You don't want it. There are people that don't like Apple as a laptop. Hmm. They say, the locks are too many. The passwords are too many. I prefer my Toshiba. Windows. I prefer my Compact. Right. I prefer to be on Windows. For you to prefer to be on Windows is okay. But for you to tell somebody that MacBooks don't exist... Because you prefer window, it's another thing. Then the problem is not the non-existence of MacBook; is the pre is your preference for window. That is the problem that we have. We live in times that people prefer what they call liberty. People feel that accepting God, which is true, accepting God comes with moral obligations, and for for our world, those moral obligations will be infringing upon liberty. And for that, we would rather have it that there is no God. Mm. So you have the issue of liberty, and then you have the issue of existential questions, existential situations. Again, I met with an atheist. She was the vice president of the Atheist and Humanist Society in one of the universities in Europe. I will not mention the university and her name to um, protect her. I was in a session where she was having, she was leading the team of the atheists and they were having a debate against the Christian students in that particular university. She was the leader of the team and she debated vehemently. She was articulate. I mean, she was a spearhead. 
at the end of the session, I went to her and I appreciated the way she debated. And I told her, I said, I can see that you you talked passionately. You were not talking from... She said, yes. She said, I, 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 I am very passionate about these matters, about people that I keep talking about God. I said, okay, I also perceive that you didn't have enough time to download. They gave you barely five <laughs> minutes per session. She said, yes, I can talk about this all day. I can... I said, okay, I have time. I want to listen. I have time. Can I just listen to you? So we set up an appointment at Costa Cafe. And, and I was asking, what's your objection? What's your problem? I want to know. She said, well, there's no God. And she went through philosophies. And she was a very good philosopher. Hmm. And she brought out all the philosophical arguments to show that there is no God. But as she was talking at a point, I stopped her and I said, please excuse me. Why are you angry with God? <laughs> she said, I didn't say so. Mm. She said, you're trying to trap me. That is slippery slope mm. in philosophy. If I say I'm angry with God, it means I've conceded there is God. Yeah, there is God. I said, excuse me, your philosophy, your philosophy lecturers are not here. Your atheist, <laughs> um, humanist and atheist society members are not here. Mm. This is me and you. Why are you angry with God? She said, I didn't say so. I looked at her again and I said, please tell me, why are you angry with God? I asked her the third time and she was quiet and she was looking at me. She just went, she was transfixed, like in a shock. Suddenly I saw tears coming out of her eyes and then she banged the table violently. She banged the table and screamed, he's not fair, he's not fair. She cried. She sobbed. I held her hands. Held her hands. Tried to get her to be calm. When she was calm enough to talk to me, she said to me, it's not fair. I said, what is it? She told me her mother was a Christian. That she was a Christian. She was the youth leader in her local church. Hmm. She said she loved her father so much. But then the father was ill. And when he was ill, that he, he became nasty to her, nasty to the mother, that eventually they had to leave him at an old people's home in a hospice where eventually he died. Hmm. But before he died, he was diagnosed with a rare form of autism. Hmm. So all the while that he was behaving the hmm. way he was behaving, he was actually sick. Hmm. She said, no way. She said, why did God do that to her? That's God's fault. Then she said again, she herself had just been diagnosed of having an autoimmune disease. Oh. Her body was killing itself. She was slowly dying. So she said, this is a God she has loved. She has known as the all-powerful God, the all-loving God, and she yeah. has talked about him. She said, but when she looks at her reality, her experience, that all-powerful God, all-knowing God, or the God of divine interventions, has not appeared in her experience. So for her, he's not here. So she started telling people he doesn't exist. Now, based on this confession she made to me, can we say he doesn't exist? No. no. What is the problem? She cannot accept his existence in the midst of her reality. How can I be suffering like this and you say you exist? So for me, it is better for me to just know that you don't exist so that I can make meaning of my experiences. That was what she did. Hmm. So that day, I also told her of some of our experiences in Jobs, Plateau State and Nigeria. 
I have been involved in burying so many people that have been killed by insurgents. I told her about Dog Dogona Hawa, Meango lands, Biram lands, and different killings. And I told, and I told her that these challenges we have, for me, they take me to God. They make me run back to God for my answers because I also have questions. But I go to God for my answers. I say, but you have questions, but you are closing the door on the person that has right. the answers. Right. So how are you going to survive? So I suggested, I say, why don't you do this? Don't make it easy for God. Why don't you just open the door? Huh. Stop denying his existence. Open the door and tell him, I know you are out there. Huh. I know you are there. But you have not come forth for me. Huh. I am hurting. I am in pain. I'm looking for you. But I know you are there. I have seen your evidence all around. I have even walked with you. I have, been ex I have even experienced you before. Huh. Why don't you do that? And then let him take that as an invitation to come. I told her, don't make it easy for him. Don't tell him, I love you, I'm coming to you. Don't, don't do all those washy things they tell you in, in Sunday school. Just tell him, I know you are there. I'm hurting. Catch my attention. She did so. That was how she came back to faith. And I'm telling you, this person I'm talking about, as at that time, was the vice president of the Atheist and the Humanist Society in that university in Europe, telling people there was no God. So now, based on the question you asked, what was our problem? Belief or acceptance? Oh. It was acceptance. Right. Somewhere inside of her, even while she debated, she knew there was God. But she would rather let him not be there. So that's why I say that the non-acceptance of our generation for God is mainly on two things. It's mainly on the moral implications and the existential challenges. You find somebody knows, if I say there is God now, I have to. I have to. <laughs> That's not right. If I say there is God now, they ought, ought to, ought mm. to, all mm. the ought to, mm. ought to, ought to things will fall on me. I ought to stop this. Yeah. I ought to stop lying. I ought to stop cheating. I ought to stop fighting. I ought to stop being a criminal. And I don't want that. Mm. So for me to live my life, it's better. I will be. I will look like a rebel to say there is God, and I'm living my life the way I am. Mm. For me not to look like a rebel, I say there is no God. I'm simply living my life. Mm. That is the first group. The second group is existential questions. How can there be a God? And he allowed Typhoon Katrina to do so much damage. When you look at the extent of damage in Florida, you say, no, 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 no. It's better for me to deal with this situation by acknowledging there is no God. Mm. Then it makes sense that there is no God who could have stopped this. Mm. How can there be God? And HIV did what it did. Yeah. How can there be God? And Ebola did what it did. And um, COVID-19 um, COVID did. How could there be God? And you saw all those people. Look at how those people were dying in Europe with COVID. No, 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 no. I, it doesn't make sense. Hmm. For a God to be there, and this is happening, the tension for me is too much. So let there not be God so I can deal with these people. Your fate is in your hands. There is no God, and let's science it out. But there is. So that is where the problem is. That it is a decision of convenience. 
and we are now trying to legitimize that decision of convenience. We want it, our world feels that it will be more convenient for God not to be. Then we can manage our things. Hmm. Then they took it a step further to say, there is no God. Instead of saying we have rejected him, they say, hmm. no, there is no God. But I've told you that even without Bible, the moral burden of making the statement there is no God, nobody can bear it. Not even Richard Dawkins. Hmm. Not even Richard Dawkins can bear it. Neurologists even say that the brain, they have not finished, that there are so many parts of this brain that they don't know what it's supposed to be doing. We, even with the advancement in science, wonderful advancements in science, we still have so many unexplored things around that you will be too audacious and you will be scientifically ridiculous to mm -hmm. say you know all. So if you don't know all, what gives you the audacity to say there is no God? So many times when I engage with atheists and I challenge them on the audacity of that kind of um, um, absolute claim mm. of non-existence of God, what they quickly do, they quickly retract and they say, okay, I am an agnostic. Mm -hmm. It's safer to say, I am yeah, searching. Right. And that is actually better. It's better to say, mm. there could be God, mm. I am looking for the evidence, than to come out and say, there, there is, is no God. God. So, if you watch some of the platforms of the atheists, they used to say there is no God. And some of these aspects, some people like us and others have challenged them to the authenticity of that claim based on the absolute nature of saying that claim is too audacious. Hmm. You find that some of them now have rewritten their posts and what they now say is, there is probably no God. <laughs> so, right. you can live your life. So, if you go hmm. to the UK now, you see it on their buses. They have changed it. They say, there is probably no God. Go on and live your life. But you see, again, they have trapped themselves. When they say there is probably no God, so which means there is no 100% proof that yeah. there is no God. Yeah. So the, the proof for the existence of God could be 0. 0.000000000001. So it means that there is that probability. Even if it is 0. 0.000000001, we the Christians have saying we have found that one. <laughs> we have found it. Yes. And there is God. And we are living out our lives based on that. So that is where the problem is. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Before we started recording, we talked about um, the church and basically um, older generations and their response to questions on these issues how do you i mean I, I would ask first of all whether the church is is doing well as far as these things are concerned but uh, i suspect the answer is no <laughs> <laughs> how did you say? <laughs> okay. so i i think i, I should have, because like like you said but before we started the the church's silence on these issues makes it seem like we do not have the answers. So how do we fix this? How do we stop hemorrhaging young people to the world because we are... I, I don't even know what... I don't even know whether to say because we are afraid of, of the questions. How do we deal with the issues where they are, with young people where they are? How do we answer these harder questions that are sometimes existential? Okay. Um, thank you. Very good question. And a very real question. 
Pardon me. Let me go into the Bible again and take it from there. When Joshua walked with Moses, when you say Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, Mm. Joshua Joshua was was there. there. So Joshua had, he was on the fringes of that experience. He saw Moses talking with God in the clouds. He he saw the supernormal. He saw the supernatural. You couldn't take that away from him. He came down from the mountain and he started having his own personal walk with God. Mm. God told him after Moses had died, you continue, take these people across the Jordan mm. into the promised land. Right. So Joshua had the burden of telling them about God, assuring them about God and doing all those. When Joshua was about to die, he called all the people and said, now that we are in this place, do not forget the Lord your God who brought you here. But if you think serving him is a burden, Hmm. well, choose you this day whom you will serve. Then he said, but as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. So he brought it out as a matter of choice. And that has been the biggest problem. Pardon me, I say problem in quote Hmm. with Hmm. God. Okay. The God problem is the issue of choice. I will talk about it. That is that we we talk about that more on on the issue of his sovereignty and how his sovereignty is a problem for some people coming to him. But let me come back to the lane of the question you asked. So Joshua told him, and the Bible told us all the people there made a promise. They said, We are going to serve God. Then he died. If you now read Judges chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible said that after Joshua and that generation had died. Mm. The Bible said, another generation came up that didn't know the Lord and they didn't know what he had done for Israel. So what did they do? They went and they started serving Baal. Right. So this is where the problem is. What's the question that I needed to ask? When the Bible said, another generation came up Mm. that didn't know the Lord. The question is, was it a generation that didn't meet their parents, the Joshuas? Did they fall from the sky? <laughs> did they meet the Joshuas, their parents, who were serving God? Mm-hmm. I am sure they did. Yeah. They lived in the homes with them. They followed them for the Sabbath. They did the sacrifices together with them. And all those rituals that were recommended in the Old Testament, they did all those things with them. So how come as soon as their parents were no more there, they threw away the faith. That is where the problem is. It showed, in my own opinion, that they never owned the faith in the first place. Right. They never owned it. So why didn't they own it? Generational disconnection. There was a generational disconnection. And it is still happening now. We mustn't forget that a gen. For the Bible to use the word and say, another generation came up. God wanted us to know that the problem was that you are dealing with another Mm, kind of people. mm. They are human beings, but they are human beings of a kind. It's another generation. So there are generational peculiarities. If we deny those peculiarities, we shall not be able to connect. Why? Because communication is within a generational peculiarities. Every generation validates its forms, 
its nuances, its ways of communication, wherein they make communication valid. You may, you may find a teenager with his father. Maybe the father is a septuagenarian, maybe, you know. Mm. And he and a teenager, uh, they walk into the school space. And the boy could just flip his hands and do some things. And the other boy say, okay, okay, okay that's fine. <laughs> and the dad will say, um, what? what is fine? <laughs> he said, no, I just told him something. He said, but you didn't say anything. Yeah. He said, but I've communicated. How? There are forms. They have their forms. Generations have their languages. They have mm. their slangs. They have their things. Social psychologists say that when you talk about the previous generations like the Born, those born in the 70s and all that talk mm. about the baby boomers mm. and then the generation X they say that their most dominant question at that time was how mm. so you are dealing with somebody they are most likely to ask you how? how you are telling somebody you need to go to school and get a degree how repent so that you can live a productive life as a Christian how mm. you need to make good grades in this department how but the millennials, they say that their most dominant question of the millennials is not how, it's why. Mm. They are the why people. Again, they are the generation that is highly ticked by information. Right. They look for information, they hold, they validate the experiences based on how much information you can give on it. Mm. That's a peculiarity. So if that is a peculiarity, you cannot communicate effectively to somebody within that generation without acknowledging these peculiarities. Right. Because in communication, if you use Shannon's model for communication, when you talk about communication going from the source, you choose the medium, mm. and then you code the message, and then it gets to the receiver, mm. and then you get a feedback. Right? right? That is the cycle of communication. There is something that is bypassed that is called noise. Okay. Noise. Okay. Noise is the sociological or emotional or psychological barrier that you must overcome in order to communicate. Huh. That is called noise. So if I'm talking to you and there is something that is taking your attention away, that you're not focusing on what I'm saying, that is noise. It's a barrier. If I am talking to you in English, but you are a Chinese and you have never had English, your language difference is a barrier. That is noise. I'm supposed to overcome it. Right. If I'm talking to you and um, there is a particular situation that makes your frame of mind not to decode what I'm saying, if I am using something, if I'm using something that is too coded, too coded, if I'm using, if I'm talking in quantum physics, Whereas you are still in secondary school or you're still doing algebra or elementary mathematics. Hmm. That's noise. All I'm talking is noise. I need to deconstruct it to your level. So in the same way, we have a generation that have their own noise. It's a technologically inclined generation. And they have their own noise. They are asking why. Then we have a church that as an institution that wants to communicate to these young people but refuses to acknowledge their noise. Hmm. That's where the problem is. So, the church thinks it is connecting to these young people. It is not. So, you find that when these young people are still dependent 
They follow their parents to church. They try to do all the faith things. Because you are still the one paying the bills. You are right. the ones yeah. feeding them. You yeah. are, they are still under your roof. Mm-hmm. But within them, they want to know why. You say you're going to pay your tithe. What is their response? Why? <laughs> you say tomorrow is Sunday. Wash your clothes. We're going for, to church in the morning. What's their question? Why? why? But what is our default response many times? Shut up and get into the car. <laughs> Because I said so. Because I said so. How <laughs> dare you? How dare you challenge me? Are you asking why? Are you crazy? So what did they do? They got into the car. And when they did, what did they tell you? Whatever. Okay. But then teacher, whatever. You tell them tomorrow is Bible study. Are we going? They say, whatever. Now, when they tell you that, they have actually not owned the decision. They have not owned the faith. So you now realize as soon as they are independent by virtue of academic um, exploration, yes. discussion, they go to university or they have gotten a job or they have migrated to another area, economic migration, they are now alone. Mm-hmm. What do they do? They deny the faith. Right. That is, in my opinion, that is one of the major issues that we are having with young people. So the young, the young people, the church, which is mainly being run by the elders, Mm. who are another generation forget that the people they are trying to give these instructions are of another generation right. so we have done um, cross generational compliance in many areas except with the young people Many people are no longer driving the old Beatles they used to drive they have changed cars that are generationally compliant mm. cars that now have remotes <laughs> Many have moved away from the big box t- TVs to the right. flat screen TVs that yeah. stick to the wall. Yeah. Many have moved. In many aspects of technology, have you seen we have, we have moved? It's another generation in technology. And even in cars, even in cars, you know, they call them generations. They tell yeah. you that yeah. maybe you're talking about Toyota Sienna. They say, we generation of yeah. the Toyota Sienna. You find that within it, you have different models, but it's of the same generation. Right. The, when they change a generation, it changes the chassis, changes the mm. features, change many things about its basic component chain. That is the same way we are having another generation. Mm. But communication is not with the knowledge, is not putting into cognizance, and we are not factoring that there is another generation in our communication. So we are unable to communicate this. So we come to church and we give the imperatives, whereas the young people are waiting for the indicatives. They are waiting for the indicatives. So we, we do more of moral um, um, moral recommendations hmm. rather than ethical analysis. Right. We don't right. analyze the ethics. Right. So we come and say, thou shalt not steal. You, you must not fornicate. Right. You must not. But we have not analyzed. How about, what's the information? What are we saying? And many times, pardon me, many of us clergymen, are very lazy academically and are not exploring information and are not aware of where current issues are. Hmm. So the things that are trending, we are blank there. We Hmm. are totally ignorant in many of the front-burning issues. Hmm. 
We don't know. We don't know about it. But these are the places where these young people are living daily. Right. And you want to communicate with them. You are not coming from that background. So long as you're not coming from that background, immediately there is noise. Hmm. There is a barrier. You are shouting from the pulpit there, and you are not with you. Hmm. That barrier must be overcome. And that is what I think that many times people are, the church is not proactively trying to overcome that barrier in order, in order to, to communicate to them. So the God that created us said that the problem is another generation came up hmm. that didn't know the Lord and they didn't know what he has he done. done for so whose fault is it that they didn't know the Lord and they didn't know what he has done? How come that this information is not being transmitted to them? How come that there is now an information vacuum hmm. that they didn't know the Lord and they didn't know what he has done? And that is where I say the church is not doing well. Contemporary issues. You can go to theology and have a very good grade in theology and yet you will be very lame in handling issues. They are asking you issues on gender. They are asking you issues on transgender. They are asking you issues on environmental conservation. They are asking you issues on substance abuse. They are asking you issues on, on, on their lives, on purpose. They are asking you issues that are related to technology. They are asking you how about AI. They are asking, is there any space for AI in their lives? That all these things, you find that the average theologian keeps saying, the Lord says, the Lord mm. says. And they are saying, but what the Lord says I want to find its relevance within my context. Right. And so long as they do not find its relevance within their context, so long as it doesn't answer the question of identity, mm. importance, yeah. incentive, and okay. impact, they are not going far. So what did God give to Jesus? When Jesus came, right there, in the at the place of the baptism at River Jordan, mm. he said, this is my beloved son. Identity. Mm. You are my son. Not just any ordinary son. You are a beloved son. Importance. You are real. You are the only one I have. Like that. Then the Holy Spirit came down on him. Incentive. Then impact. He said, whatever you do pleases me. The church, many times, I ask pastors and I say, if a young person attends your church for two years, will he find these four things? Field, identity, importance, incentive, and impact. If the church is not providing it, I want you to know, he looks for it in the secular right. space. Right. Did you observe that in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted of the devil, what did that mean? It meant Satan was going to be given his opportunity to do his worst. It's like you're in a boxing ring. It's like um, um, Joshua is going to face Wilder. Mm. Mm? And imagine that they say, okay, um, Joshua, Anthony Joshua, we are going to tie down Deontay Wilder <laughs> and then you will be allowed to give him three blows mm. before the match starts. We are giving you an advantage of three unreplied blows. What do you expect Joshua to do? Hit his hardest. Oh, come on. Hit, hit his, his hardest. hardest. <laughs> he should hit his hardest. You are right, my brother. In fact, I would expect him to like, you know, lean on the rope <laughs> and gain some momentum and then, you know, dive with the blow and just right. give it. Right? Hit your hardest. 
Jesus was sent into the desert for Satan to hit his hardest. Hmm. Did you observe what was his hardest? If you are the son of God. Hmm. If you are the son of God. Those three and then incentive. I will give hmm. you hmm. this whole world if you bow down to me so that you can become important. You become right. important and become relevant. Identity, importance, incentive. Sense. That was what he was after. He said, jump from there. Mm. If you are the son of God, identity, jump from here. People will know you are important. You mm. will be some. Mm. Imagine you, 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 you will be in the Guinness Book of Records for, <laughs> for this jump. Right. What was he trying to sell? He was selling identity, importance, incentive, and impact. But that is what God gave Jesus. You are my son. You already have your identity. Mm. You have the incentive of the Holy Spirit. You are a real person. You are very important to me. And then whatever you do, pleases me live to please me that's your impact yeah. i'm not asking you to go and make a million yeah. i'm not asking you to have one billion people in your instagram followership yeah. i'm not i'm just asking you to please me so long as you are pleasing me i am happy with you that's what young people are looking for young people are asking how do i make impact the church has not told them that to make impact is just to please god you don't need to impress anybody the world has told them how many people are following you on facebook how many people are following you on instagram yeah. That's your impact level. The world is telling them, what's your worth? What's your worth? How much do you have in your account? What's your worth? The world is telling them, who are you? They're asking themselves, who are you? Do you know that psychologists have said that the biggest problem of the young people up till today in this generation is identity crisis? Right. They're trying to know, who am I? The church says I'm this. My parents say I'm this. My teacher says I'm blockhead. My neighbors say I am I am from an ethnic minority. The 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 country says I am a, a common Nigerian. Mm. The so who am I really? But how dare the church allow a young person come into service and live without knowing who he is? Mm. So Peter said, but you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar person called out of darkness into his marvelous light to show his praise. That First Peter 2.9 answered those four things. Mm. In that sentence, he talked about identity. He talked about importance, identity, a chosen gen generation, imp importance, you are a royal priesthood, incentive. He has talked about you have been called out of mm. darkness into his marvelous life to show his praise, to make impact. You are just living for his praise, just for him. Mm. Forget the world, you live for him. And so long as you live for him, you are making impact. You may not have the latest Rolls Royce or the latest Ferrari or Bugatti Veyron. You don't need to. Mm. You live for him, you make impact. He smiles when you know that what you are doing is for him. When we do this, we actually relieve young people. They are under so much pressure that they are on drugs because they are trying to meet up. They are, they are, they are trying to follow the standards that have been set. They think that is the standard. They are looking at the secular world. Whereas, the church could have done that. So, I agree with you. The church is not doing well. The church could do better in terms of connecting and communicating with the younger people. But the church cannot do that until it understands the peculiarities of our generation and then communicates to them through that, through that mode to overcome their uh, customized noises. So, does God exist? We have 
laid out the evidence, we've presented the facts. At the end of the day, it's up to you to make the decision for yourself whether you believe, whether you choose to accept it. But does God exist? this episode of youth vibes thank you so much sir for taking our time to come on the show today we appreciate your valuable insight into all of these matters thank you so so much thank you for having me and thank you for listening to the show today if you enjoyed this episode consider subscribing to youth vibes wherever you get your podcasts turn on notifications so that you don't miss a single episode and we're sure you have many questions so you can send in your feedback using the link at the end of the episode description or if you'd like send us an email at youth4epc at gmail.com that's y-o-u-t-h number four epc at gmail.com we'd love to hear back from you this episode of Youth Vibes was produced by Nkami Iwara and mixed by Daniel Sule in collaboration with Agapati Church Youth Fellowship. Our theme music is by Basho Adam. Special thanks to John Fidelis and Seth Kuji. That's it for this episode of Youth Vibes. We'll see you right here next week.